Well, please join me back in the book of 1 Peter. We're in chapter 2. We're talking about thriving in exile, and today we come to the idea of our cornerstone. Well, it was in high school, a few months, maybe a year before I became a Christian, a buddy and I, David Wynn, he and I went sailing right outside of Rocky Mountain, North Carolina in the reservoir. He had a two-man sailboat, and it sounded like fun. Let's go, let's go sailing. And so we went, and we unloaded the boat, and there we were, made our way out into the middle of the reservoir when a sudden summer storm came upon us. We had no idea it was coming. The sky went from blue to black, and the rains came very hard, and the winds became fierce. And then worst of all, out in the middle of this lake, lightning begins popping all around us. Picture it now. Two guys in a two-man sailboat with a metal mast sticking straight up toward all that lightning. I was terrified. And it was some months before I became a Christian, but I do know that I prayed that time. Desperate prayer. And our, our one mission then was to get off of the lake. And so we had, a, we had a problem with that because we're rookie sailors. But we knew we had to get the sail into the wind to get back to shore out of all this lightning. And so we would put the sail into the wind. And indeed, we would pick up speed. It was quite dramatic. But then we would nearly capsize. Too much wind. And so we'd have to pull the sail out of the wind. Then we'd kind of right ourselves and then put the sail back in the wind. We'd race toward the shore. Same thing. Almost tipping over. Pull it out of the wind. And finally, through that precarious time, we made it back to the shore. Scrambled onto the shore. Relieved. Within a couple of minutes, that sudden storm passed by. The sky was blue, sun was out. We had a question for ourselves. Do we want to go sailing now? It only took us a few seconds to go, no, we're done. We're done. Whatever that was that came so suddenly, another one could be coming to. This is just not something we're going to do. We, we preferred the solid ground of the shore to those turning waters of that reservoir. Well, in our text today, Peter's going to remind us that we have a firm foundation under us in Jesus Christ. In a world of all this change we're seeing, some of this change is irrational change we're seeing. Some of it's completely illogical, insane changes we see. In the midst of a culture, in a world like this, we have a solid foundation in Jesus Christ. That's why we're not called to timidity in these days. We are called to hope and joy in our Savior, Jesus Christ. So see with me first in our text that Christ is indeed our cornerstone. He is our foundation. Let's look together. 1 Peter 2, verses 4 through 6. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. To offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in scripture. Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone. A cornerstone chosen and precious. And whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Here Peter references some Old Testament scriptures to point to Jesus as indeed our Messiah. Described as a solid rock. The cornerstone of a building. He quotes here Isaiah 28, verse 16, here in verse 6, where he says, Behold, I'm laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. He's referencing Isaiah 28, 16. He's also in this passage, particularly in verse 7, 
he's referencing Psalm 118, verse 22. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. So Peter's bringing that up here, quoting the Old Testament writers. But Jesus also quoted those passages referring to himself. In Matthew 21, verse 42, Jesus said to them, Have you never read in the scriptures? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is what the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Peter also quoted these Old Testament passages when he preached one of his early sermons there in Acts chapter 4. When he said this, Acts 4.11, This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And of course, all this talk of rock and stone reference to Jesus, Peter would have also remembered. Remember that occasion when Peter made that good confession? You're the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said to Peter, Peter, you are, you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. This rock of his confession of Jesus being the Messiah. So Jesus here described as our cornerstone. Now think of it with me, in the, in the Bible, Jesus is described in a lot of ways to us. And in every occasion, when there's some way Jesus is being described, he's always described as absolutely essential. When Jesus describes himself or someone describes Jesus, if any analogy is used, Jesus is never portrayed as an add-on to your already good life. For instance, we see things like this, where Jesus said of himself, I am the way and the truth and the life. That's talking about him being absolutely essential. Or when Jesus said of himself, I am the light of the world. Or when Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Or when Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He's saying, I'm essential. And likewise here, when Jesus is referred to as the cornerstone, he's absolutely essential for your life. So what is a cornerstone? Well, we know a little bit about them in our culture, but nothing like what they meant there in biblical times. A cornerstone was that first large stone laid as they built the foundation for some impressive building. So like a temple, they would lay the cornerstone. Then they would arrange all the other stones of the foundation around that one. And we're going to build up on that foundation that all started with the cornerstone. Now we think about in our days, if you know about a cornerstone of a building, isn't it now pretty much decorative it's kind of a ceremonial thing that we do. We might even have a little time capsule in a cornerstone. And really the building would do just fine without that little decorative ceremonial piece in it. But Jesus is more than that. Jesus is essential. Jesus is foundational. Now for some, Jesus really is just ornamental, not foundational. Maybe to some, Jesus is like the curtains of a house. Or maybe Jesus is like the furnishings of a house, but that's not who Jesus is. Be sure that you see Jesus for who he is. Be sure that Jesus is in his rightful place in your life, that he indeed is your foundation. Jesus to you and me should not be our mascot. Jesus to you and me should not be a decoration. He certainly should not be to us a hobby. He's the foundation of our lives. He's the meaning and he's the purpose of our lives. Jesus is our confidence. He's our hope. He's our strength. That's what we were just singing about. But notice here in the text, it's not just you building on this foundation, though that's true if you're in Christ, but it's all of us, all of God's people building up on this foundation. Notice the wording again, verses four and five. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. Here it is. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house. 
So Jesus here called a living stone being the foundation of a new covenant temple. So every individual believer that trusts in Christ, building his or her life on that foundation. But every one of us coming to Christ and all of us coming to Christ, we are these living stones building up a new covenant type of temple. So see the imagery of that one by one, family by family, people coming to Christ, building on him and forming a new spiritual house, the idea of a temple. So what we saw last time in verses one through three, we're growing up in Christ like an infant taking in the pure spiritual milk of the word. We're growing up. Peter shifts here and says, now you're like a, a new temple being built and you're building up on the foundation we have in Christ. And this new covenant temple, which is the people of God, far superior even than that glorious Old Testament temple that was made of literal stones. Even though in that old covenant temple of literal stones and gold things inside, this is more impressive because God has made a temple for himself of his very people. It is a living temple with living stones. So Jesus is the cornerstone of this. We build our lives on him individually and together. So let me ask, is Jesus your cornerstone? Is Jesus the foundation of your life? Or would you say, I'm on shakier ground? Maybe you're building your life on another person or on how another person feels about you or another person's opinion about you. Maybe that's your foundation. You, you, you rise and fall on what other people think about you. Maybe your friend group. Listen, that's, that's the wrong foundation. That's a shaky foundation. Jesus offers to you something far better than that. Or maybe it's your money. You've made your financial success. This is my foundation. This is what makes me feel secure in this life. Listen, that's a risky and shaky wrong foundation. Maybe it's just you, these, these qualities about yourself that you might like about yourself. Maybe your physical strength. Maybe it's your charisma. Maybe it's your intellect or, or this great plan that you have for your life. Maybe you've made that the foundation under your feet. It's you. And that is a shaky, wrong foundation. I pray today you'll be like my buddy and me getting off that lake. I want to get off those, those turning waters. I want to get out of that wind. I need to get on something other than a shaky little boat. I need to get on the solid ground. And this is who Jesus is to us, a foundation, the cornerstone. And so today I would urge you become a living stone in the temple of God. Join us in building your life upon Jesus Christ in this place as the living temple of God in a local church, we're encouraging each other. Like Peter's been telling us, we need to spur each other on to be holy as God is holy and to love each other sincerely and fervently from the heart. And so here we've just been noticing this grand truth that we have a great cornerstone, a great foundation, Jesus himself, upon which we build our lives. We build on him. But then I want us to go next and look at verses six through eight and see the importance of this decision. Because you might be here today and you have not made that decision. You are on one of those other shakier foundations for your life. Let me impress upon you how, how serious this decision is and plead with you to make the right call to choose to follow and trust in Christ. Look at verses six through eight now. The importance of your choice. For it stands in scripture, behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious. Now listen to this. And whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense 
They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. Peter explains what you and I witness really every day of our lives. Some will enthusiastically embrace Jesus as Savior and Lord and will begin building their lives upon him. But at the same time, many will dismissively reject Jesus, even maybe mocking those who have believed in him. So see it, there's nothing wrong with the stone. It's Jesus, nothing wrong with him, but there's something very wrong with the human heart that people would turn and look at Jesus and still walk away in unbelief, not going to build my life on him. I'll find something other than him. Nothing wrong with Jesus. He's that choice and precious stone, but many people will estimate him wrongly. Now, verse eight is very interesting, very powerful. I'll let you ponder this later, but look at this. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. So through Christ, we're destined to salvation and glory, but those who persist in unbelief, oh, they're destined for total loss. Now notice this, everybody's making a decision about Jesus. This is what this passage is reminding us. Everybody's making a decision for Jesus. Some are believing in him while others are rejecting him. Notice the wording here, very strong. The stone that the builders rejected. Some people might say, well, I, don't, I wouldn't put it that strongly. I'm not, I'm not rejecting Jesus. I don't mean anything by it. I'm sure he was great and all, but I'm just not going to trust in him as my savior. I'm just not going to follow him. I'm not going to pledge all my allegiance to Jesus. That's still a rejection. No matter how friendly you try to make it, it is a rejection. And this is what happened in Jesus's incarnation and in his ultimate crucifixion. There were those who looked at Jesus, who was indeed the, the cornerstone promised by the prophets. Here he is. And they estimate, no, not this one. I'm rejecting this stone. But it didn't change who Jesus was. He indeed was the cornerstone. He indeed is the Messiah, but, but they rejected him. Some obviously quite violently. Others like Pilate tried to be a little more diplomatic about it, but nevertheless a rejection. And this same type of rejection is happening today. Blind humanity looks at Jesus and says, no, I will have something else. It is a rejection. The, the Bible is right to use such word. And yet Jesus remains the cornerstone. Jesus remains our great and only hope. So we make our decisions for Christ really in what would feel like cross currents. Whenever somebody chooses to follow Christ, they're doing so in the midst of cross currents. There's, there are those who are coming to faith in Christ. How wonderful. And then there are those who are certainly in unbelief. And in our culture, maybe even very proud of their unbelief. So our belief in Jesus is in contradiction to the views of the world around us. The world's rejection of Jesus is the context of our receiving Jesus. The world's unbelief toward Jesus is the context of our belief in Jesus. So they may be appearing more hostile than ever against him, but we're loving Jesus more than ever. We're trusting him and delighting in him more than ever. Do you feel the different, the cross currents there? And we gladly say, oh, I'm trusting in Jesus, no matter who is rejecting in these days. So don't let the fact that others might be rejecting Jesus, don't let that influence your decision for Christ. So you might say, well, but, but Tom Hanks and Tom Cruise, they're rejecting. They don't believe. We'd say, so but Elon Musk and Bill Nye, they don't believe. Or my high school Spanish teacher, she doesn't believe. Or the faculty at my university, they don't believe. And our response to that is, that's a terrible pity for them. And I, you should pray for all those people that I just mentioned. 
And if you have the opportunity, share the gospel with all those people that I just mentioned. But their rejection of Jesus should not be impressive to you. And it should certainly not be influential to you. This has been happening since the very beginning. People would look at Jesus and they would reject the one who was indeed the very cornerstone. Terrible decision for them. They were bad builders is how the scripture would describe them. But don't be so foolish. Don't follow them in their terrible, terrible mistake. Understand, when you believe in Jesus, you're doing so counter-culturally, and it's always been this way. Again, Peter's writing this letter in around A.D. 62, A.D. 63. We're talking first century, first waves of people becoming believers, and they knew this. Many people rejecting, most people rejecting, but we're not rejecting. We know who this is, cornerstone. There is no better. I'm trusting in Jesus. So no matter what somebody else does, no matter how anybody else estimates Jesus and evaluates him, we see him how God sees him. Look at verse four. As you come to him, a living stone, yes, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. But Oprah says, but Bill Maher says, but Howard Stern says, but Taylor Swift says, irrelevant. God says chosen and precious. God says cornerstone. God says repent and believe in him. And so in this world of rejection, which has always been the case, oh, we delight to believe in Jesus Christ. Now I want you to see this with me. We have a new identity, a new mission, a new honor. If we're among those who have seen Jesus as the cornerstone, the promised Messiah, the one upon whom we should build our lives, then we now have a new identity, a new mission, and new honor. Look at verses 9 through 10 with me now. This is, these are amazing verses. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy... But now you have received mercy. I know I say this from time to time, but could there be more beautiful verses in all the Bible than these? How amazing. So true. There are people who are blind and dead in sins like we once were. And they're rejecting Jesus. But if you are among those who have believed in Jesus, he says, but you are this. You're different than you once were. You have a brand new identity. We hear a lot of talk about identity in our culture. And it's false. And it's divisive. We want no part of that. Here is your identity if you are in Christ. First of all, remember, we saw verse 5. You are a living stone in the very temple of God, this living temple. You're part of the body of Christ. How awesome is that? You're a part of the spiritual house that God is building. But now he tells us here, you are part of a chosen race. This is your race, the people of God from every tribe, tongue, and nation. I love this. You're a royal priesthood. That's who you are now in Christ. You're now in Christ, a holy nation and a people for his own possession. So these are thrilling truths to ponder. So there's a sense in which we are the temple of God now in Christ. We are the people of God. We belong to him. I love this. And there's a priesthood. So I love the imagery, imagery here. You're now the new temple, the people of God together, living stones. You're the temple. But now he tells us, and you're the priesthood of this new covenant temple. Verse 5, he gave us this as well. He says, to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So this is a great truth that we want to ponder here for a moment. The priesthood of the believer. 
So notice very intentionally how we organize ourselves as a church. We don't have priests. When you read the Bible, which I always urge you to do, you'll never come across the idea of a New Testament priest other than this idea that you as a child of God through faith in Jesus, you now have become a part of this royal priesthood. You can go directly to the Lord. So every child of God is coming to Christ, should keep on coming to Christ. You function like a priest in amazing ways. Here we're told that we get to offer spiritual sacrifices. We bring our praise to God. We bring our thanksgiving, our awe, and our delight to the Lord. We bring songs to the Lord like we did a moment ago. We bring our service to him. We give him our time, our prayers, our attentiveness. We bring our full selves to him. Remember in Romans 12, we're described as living sacrifices to the Lord. So this imagery is amazing. We are the temple of God together. We are the priesthood of God in the new covenant. And we are the sacrifices to God, living sacrifices, giving ourselves to Christ. So somebody might ask the question then, then pastor, what are you doing up there? Because we don't have priests. But of course not, we don't have priests. But we do have pastors. So we go to places like Ephesians 4. And we go to places like 1 Timothy 3. And we're not told that you have priests. We have pastors and deacons. So what's the difference in a pastor and a priest? Well, a pastor is not trying to get between you and God. If you'll notice, the message is always, go to Jesus, go to Jesus. You hear me say it every week. Would you spend time with Jesus? Go get your Bible, get alone with him, spend time with Jesus. I don't want to get in the middle of that. So a pastor is like a player coach. The, the word actually is the idea of a shepherd guiding and leading you to the, the true shepherd. That's the role. I think about in the sports analogy, a player coach. So I'm in the game too, raising a family, battling temptation every day of my life as well, staying focused on the mission. So I'm in the game too, but then also have this additional role of, all right, let's, let's do this. And let's, when we fail, let's, let's get back up and let's go this direction. Let's keep following after Jesus, our true leader. So pastors are shepherds and deacons are servants in the church. Those are biblical roles, but notice not priests, except for this type of priest. That is your role to be a priest. Notice verse four, and we're to come to him. The grammar here in the original language carries the idea of continually coming to him. So yes, you came to him the moment you believed in Jesus and it was him drawing you to do that. But now that you've come to Jesus, you continue to come to Jesus. Why would we not? But we come like priests. We come in prayer. We come in worship. We come to delight in him. And there's no intermediary. Jesus is the one who brings you to the father, not some other man. So we're to continually worship the Lord. We're continually to be in his presence. And that has a bearing on how we worship here, doesn't it? So maybe you come from a different religious background and you were used to having priests. And what happened on the stage in those churches was they are worshiping for me in a sense. I'm counting on those guys who have that special designation as priests to do the work. And if they don't do their work, I don't really know what I'm going to do. But we're not set up that way because that's not New Testament. We all come in as priests. We're all coming in as worshipers. We're none of us to be spectators of what happens up here. Yeah, we're worshiping up here. It's real. It's sincere. But it needs to be sincere worship from you. A priest, the priesthood of the believers. There are you bringing your worship. You are a royal priesthood. Now, what a privilege this is. And this wasn't always true of you and me. And I love verse 10. Look at this. Just to remind us of the grace that made this true. You and I who were alienated from God before in our sin, broken, in bondage. Now this once, verse 10, once you are not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. 
This is why we come to worship. This is why we sing. This is why we smile. This is why we have hope because we remember when we were not the people of God. We remember when we were outside of the mercy of God, aimless, no foundation. And all that's reversed, not because we were so smart and we got it together. It's Jesus came and he, he rescued us. He saved us and he's changed everything about us and given us this new identity and this new purpose. So preach this to yourself, but preach it to others too. Look at verse nine again. Here's our new mission, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. This is a message that you've been given to give to others that you have experienced yourself. He called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. So, so what would I tell somebody else about Jesus? Well, that he took you out of darkness and he brought you into his marvelous light. You tell your story, what Jesus has done for you, and you tell what Jesus can do for them. This is our new mission. Now talk about inclusive. Here's a savior who is the savior of the whole world. No matter your background, no matter your skin color, no matter what language you speak, you get to be a part of the family of God through faith in Jesus Christ. Every tribe, every tongue, every nation, this gospel is available to them and to you. So put your faith in him. Proclaim to yourself what God is offering to you. Proclaim to others that God would take them out of darkness into his marvelous light. How could we be silent with a message this amazing? And so I'm so glad in our church in these days, we're very intentionally trying to make sure that our gaze is set, yes, upward on Christ, but also outward to our neighbors. And can I remind you to suit up again with the gospel every time you go out from this place, every time you leave your home. Very practically, these wristbands are great tools for us where we can put one of those on in the morning and just remind ourselves, I have a mission and I have a message like none other. I have this privilege of pointing people to the savior. So, so use that wristband, if nothing else, as a reminder and be ready to share the gospel with others. You can use our website for that as well. On the website, Tommy has there for us on the homepage, a link to a good gospel presentation that really corresponds with the wristband. There's still nothing wrong in these days with you. Like, I don't know what to say and there's never enough time, but a simple invitation to church to say to somebody you work with or that you know, hey, would you like to come to church with me? I'm just, I'm just so um, grateful for what the Lord has done in my life. And I just, I just think you would enjoy it yourself if you'd come with me. And you can tell your story. You talk about how you now have a new foundation for your life that you didn't have before. In fact, you could even use this very sermon as an excuse to talk about Jesus when you get back to work perhaps on Tuesday. So somebody's going to ask you, hey, what'd you do over the weekend? And you say, well, we barbecued, we did all that stuff, whatever you did. And you say, but I went to church and on Sunday we were in first Peter and we talked about Jesus being our cornerstone. And it gave me a chance to think about that. He really is the foundation for my life. He's really changed me. And you could even ask them a question back. So do, do you have a foundation for your life or something? However, use your personality, use your words, but, but you could even use what we talked about today as an excuse to talk about Jesus. So we have a new identity, we have a new mission to share this message, but also we have honor. Look at verses six and seven again. For it stands in scripture, behold, I'm laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious. Whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Did you notice the words honor and shame here? Jesus did indeed find us in our state of alienation and shame, but in mercy, he came and forgave us our sins and removed our shame from us. And now we're not destined for shame in the future. We're not destined for disappointment. Oh, we're destined to be honored forever. 
Isn't it an interesting strategy of the evil one to try to get you to be ashamed of the things you should be very much delighted in? The, the, the strategy of the evil one is to get you to be timid about Christ, to be, to be intimidated by the bullying of the world around you. But Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. And Peter reminds us here, and we will not be put to shame at any time in the future. So are you willing to be put to shame in this culture and endure their attempts at shaming you so that you might be unashamed forever? So here is faith that you treasure Jesus as the is your very life, is the foundation of your life, even when others around you are making a different decision. Listen, choose Jesus. Don't be ashamed of Jesus. Proclaim Jesus. This morning, I was checking email before coming, and I'm getting great emails coming out of the South Asia Affinity at the IMB, and I want to read this to you. I want you to hear about an Indian farmer and his son who are unashamed of Jesus. I want us to imitate them. So here's what I read this morning. Praise God that even through lockdowns, a second wave of COVID sweeping through the country and multiple serious illnesses in their family, one national partner and his son are seeing much fruit. They are simple farmers, but have a heart for God and people. They'll share the gospel with anyone, even police officers, Hindu priests, Muslims, anyone at all. They are not afraid to share because they trust the Lord and have good news that everyone needs to hear. They know how to disciple new believers and form them into healthy churches and just recently began a fourth generation church. They have learned how to follow a simple discipleship program to teach the basics of the faith as well as deeper lessons. Listen to this. This father and son have baptized over 100 people in the last year, even in the face of new anti-conversion laws which threaten harsh penalties and prison terms. Ask God to raise up hundreds more like these two men. Hey, let's ask God to do that, to raise up hundreds like these two men in India. But let's pray that God will raise up hundreds like them in our own congregation, in our own area. We should not be ashamed of Jesus. We should be delighted. We have this new mission. We have this honor of knowing Jesus. Let's point other people to him. So here's the ultimate shame. If a person looks at Jesus and rejects that stone that is the cornerstone. There is that ultimate moment of shame when a person stands before God in judgment without a savior. In fact, the judge is the savior. And to look at Jesus and say, I estimated you wrongly. I evaluated who you were, was wrongly. I rejected you in my life. And there'll be no hope in that moment, having rejected the savior while you had the chance. Still in your sins, in the presence of Jesus, the savior that you rejected. That's the ultimate shame. That's eternal regret. That's eternal remorse. That's never ending disappointment at that bad decision here to be a bad builder, building on the wrong thing. But in Christ, if you're in Christ, how different? You're destined for honor. Verse seven again. So the honor is for you who believe. So praise God for this foundation that we have. Praise God for this priesthood that you and I have. Praise God for this privilege to be his temple, to be his priest, even to be these living sacrifices to him forever. Well, one of the things I like to do in the evenings is, is to watch some YouTube shows. And there's one called Abandoned. And I think YouTube knows I must be a middle-aged guy. He'll probably like this. And so they feed me stories like this. So Abandoned is a series of companies that have closed over time. You get to read the rise and the fall of, of great companies in our culture. And sometimes they go into like abandoned malls. It was once this great thing. And I find it interesting. And so if you watch one, they feed you more. And so, uh, but interestingly, 
they've talked about the rise and fall of companies like Sears. And you think, well, how did that happen? How did a great company rise and fall? Or Radio Shack. Remember when Radio Shack was everywhere? Or Blockbuster, the rise and fall of Blockbuster. But then this was interesting because it was a Richmond-based company, Circuit City. And so I watched that one last night and read about the rise and fall of Circuit City. It was the dominant electronic store in the nation. And through competition and other things, they just shrank and shrank and then went out of business. And I hope, I hope none of you worked for them back in the day. It would have been very painful to watch. But as I was thinking through all that, I thought, you know, Staples Mill Road Baptist Church, this humble body of believers, we've outlasted Circuit City. So our church started in the 1950s, and uh, we've gone through a lot of change since the 1950s. And aren't you glad? It would be weird if we were still here doing it exactly like we did it in the 1950s. But think about the changes that we've gone through as a congregation since the 1950s. We changed locations in that amount of time. We changed our name from Trinity Baptist Church to Staples Mill Road Baptist Church. We've had a lot of pastors come and go and different staff members. A lot of deacons have, have come through and gone on to glory and all that. Um, we've changed how we've dressed through the years here, haven't we? Used to remember the choir robes and all those things. Those, those were necessary good changes, but, but here we are. Circuit City came and is gone. Great company, billion dollar company, and we're still here. And praise God for the foundation that we're on. Our prayer is that we'll still be standing, still proclaiming the gospel, still being rooted in the truth and reaching in love until Jesus comes again. We, we dare not shift to any other foundation than Jesus Christ. And so today I want to ask you to come to Jesus, to have this foundation in your life. With all the change around you, you need stability in your life. You need an eternal savior and Jesus is the only one. Come to Jesus today and receive forgiveness of all your sins. Come to Jesus and to take away all of your shame and you'll have no prospect of shame in the future, but just, just honor and glory forever because of a gift from him. Become one of his people. And we would invite you to become one of us as we build our lives on Jesus Christ. Let me give you a moment to put your faith in Jesus even now. Right now where you're sitting, would you do that? Would you ask Jesus to save you? You pray something like this, but you must mean it. Jesus, I'm sorry for my sin. I see that I'm a sinner. I had rejected you up until this moment. I was doing my own life my way. I repent. That I might trust in you, Jesus. I know, Jesus, you died on the cross for my sins. That's amazing. You were raised from the dead. I believe it. Now, Lord, I ask you to save me. Take over my life. Lead me from here on. Now, let me pray for you.